Let's study God's Word together. I want to encourage you to, to grab your Bible or a device with a Bible on it, open it up together as we continue our study uh, on the life of King David. Uh, this week we're going to be over in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and I want to talk to you about confidence in the cave. Um, let me ask you, you know what it feels like to feel trapped uh, in adversity, to feel like nothing is going your way, that e- to even feel like even when you do things right, wrong things seem to happen to you. In those seasons, life can get really hard. In those seasons, temptation can get really strong. You can be tempted to take shortcuts, to not wait upon the Lord, to take matters into your own hands. Uh, If you're suffering at the hands of others, as we'll see David was, you can be tempted to seek revenge, uh, to, to avenge for yourself. And David had what we call this wilderness season in his life. It was a season where at times he was literally living in caves. Uh, Listen to what he wrote in this season of life in one of those cave experiences. Now, it was either recorded, he has a cave experience recorded in 1 Samuel 22, and then we see one that we're reading today in 1 Samuel 24. Uh, It's during this wilderness season where David is on the run from Saul. And somewhere in that season, it seems that David wrote Psalm 142 and Psalm 157. Listen to what he says in Psalm 142 to give you an idea of what's going on in his heart during the season verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 142 says with my voice I cry out to the Lord with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord I pour out my complaint before him I tell my trouble before him when my spirit faints within me you know my way in the path where I walk they have hidden a trap for me look to the right and see there's none who takes notice of me no refuge remains to me No one cares for my soul. Have you ever been there? Where you just felt like you just cried out to the Lord, made your complaints known to Him, you felt like no one cares for you, that there's no refuge for you? That's the season of life that David is in in 1 Samuel 24, really, in 1 Samuel about uh, chapters 19 uh, onward, uh, even past chapter 24, David's in this season. In times of incredible difficulty, incredible pain, challenging times happen to God's people uh, throughout the Bible. A couple of examples that we think of often is like Job. Uh, Job, things are going great for Job, it seems, right? Godly guy, and then he loses his home, he loses his kids, he loses his health. It's like his life just crumbles around him. Or Joseph, uh, the, the, the son of Jacob, he has a dream of his brothers bowing down before him, and the next thing he knows, what? He's a slave than a prisoner for something he didn't even do. Today, we're going to see this kind of season in the life of King David. And we're going to pick up with David on the run from King Saul. The hero of 1 Samuel 17 is now seen by Saul as an enemy, um, starting in about chapter 19 onward. And uh, chapter 18, uh, really, where things begin to shift and turn uh, as David gains popularity after the killing of Saul, uh, uh, killing of uh, killing of Goliath, and then Saul makes him the um, uh, makes it, makes it, put, puts him over uh, soldiers and things, begins to send him out to war, and he becomes this war hero, and he becomes more and more famous and more and more popular. And by the beginning of chapter 19, Saul's thinking maybe it's time to kill this guy. Saul's paranoia is growing, and he's thinking, David is my enemy. Uh, He he begins to recognize. Remember, Saul's been told, the kingdom's going to pass from you. I've I've, I've chosen a man after my own heart. He's been told through Samuel. So Saul begins to get paranoid that David is going to be that guy. And David is going to be that guy, but Saul responds poorly, and he begins to try to kill David. On a couple of different occasions, he tries and misses, and David ends up having to be on the run. And David spends 
so much time here on the run, and then a moment happens during this season where David's out in the wilderness hiding from Saul, trying to save his own life, and, and he's, he's hid his family away so that Saul can't get after them, and, and, and a moment happens where David seemingly could kind of make it all go away. In one big swoop, he could get vengeance against Saul, and he could get that kingdom. He could end this season in this wilderness, but to do so, He'd have to sin. He'd have to compromise. And in this moment, David would have to learn to place his confidence in the Lord and to flesh that out, to live that out, even in the caves of life. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Enjedi. Then Saul took 3,000 men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. So let's pause there. Just first of all, let's think about the, just the craziness of this situation. At this point in the story, David is on the run here. Remember, Saul's trying to kill him. He's living in the wilderness, resorted to living in caves. What happened? In the midst of David's success, Saul has grown jealous, right? And he's tried to kill David, as I mentioned, a couple of different times. David finally after the second time David flees he realizes man I've got to get out of here and he escapes to the wilderness so in this season David he has already married Michael the daughter Saul had a daughter who falls in love with David uh, Saul arranges for them to get married but in his mind it's a trap he's trying to use his daughter as a way to entrap David and ultimately to lead to David's demise he's plotting against David even with his daughter the scriptures tell us but but Michael loves David the scriptures tell us but uh, that then ultimately though David um, has to flee, has a, has a leaper and has to get out of there as Saul comes and tries to have him killed. His best friend, Jonathan, he's separated from him at this point. He's, he's had to leave the people that he knows. He's had to hide his family, as I mentioned. And in this season, if you go back to chapter 22, when David's in, David goes to a cave there, um, people begin to gravitate to David. People who are likely suffering under the, the reign of Saul, they tell us. Uh, the Bible tells us they were people who, who were bitter in spirit. Um, they were desperate. Um, they were indebted. Uh, the, 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 these were people that were unhappy people, bitter in spirit people, suffering under uh, the reign of Saul at this time, who has just become, um, who's just over the edge. I mean, just the fact that he shows up with 3,000 men to hunt an innocent guy who's done nothing wrong just because he's jealous of him and he wants to kill him. Think about that. Takes 3,000 men with him. So imagine the gravity of the situation when you're David and you've been on the run for all this time and you're hiding out in the cave with your, with your 400 men. And one day as you're hiding in that cave, you've been on the run from Saul. In walks a shadow. Somebody spots this at the front of the cave. Someone has come in to use the restroom. Who is that? That looks like... That's too tall to be... Oh, it's not guy is tall wait a second that's Saul what are the chances separated from his 3,000 men alone vulnerable in the cave you and your 400 are sitting there wow he's right here right here in the darkness what do you do what do you do verse 4 and the men of David said to him here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you should do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him. 
because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose, rose up and left the cave and went on his way. What are the men saying? They're saying, David, this is the day that we've been waiting for. Look what God has done. These guys seem to mean well for David, right? I mean, they've rallied to David. These guys are going to become a loyal army to him. Um, It seems that that these are the men that make up the mighty men that you can read over about in 2 Samuel. Um, Later in 2 Samuel, it talks about their valiant acts. These men, they they love David, but they're, obviously the Bible says, an an, an embittered bunch as well. They're, They're not in the Saul fan club. But in this moment, they're giving David's, they, they see this as an opportunity. It's really more of a test. And they're giving David some, what ultimately turns out to be bad counsel. See, when you're in bad circumstances, when you're going through hard times, when you're in tempting situations, you are going to sometimes hear some advice, even from people that may mean well that isn't always good, or maybe even from your own self, in your own mind. Notice their advice was well-intended, right? They wanted the best for David. Seems like they meant well by him. They loved David. They didn't care for Saul. It was spiritual. They actually invoke the name of God and say this is a prophecy. Now, it could be, as one person pointed out, it could be a false prophecy or that they've misapplied a prophecy. It also was pointed out by someone that, that over in chapter 23, the chapter before this, God does promise to deliver the Philistines into David's hands. And it could be, it could be, and they fought and they won that battle, and it could be, that they're misapplying this by thinking, well, the Philistines saw an enemy's an enemy. God gave you one, God will give you the other. But the point is, it's a spiritual invoking of God's name. This advice sounds, sounds spiritual, sounds, sounds like it's coming from somebody who cares about the things of God. It's, it's encouraging, and meaning it's what you want to hear. It's just like, hey, man, look at what God has done for you. This is the day. It's kind of a woohoo, what you'd want to hear kind of thing. Well-intended, spiritual, seemingly encouraging, but it is wrong. Wrong counsel. It was unscriptural, we'll see, and therefore ungodly. So beware of well-intended bad counsel when you're in the wilderness or when you're in the cave. David doesn't kill Saul. Rather, he ends up cutting off a portion of Saul's robe instead. But then David, is he, he's bothered by this. His conscience bothered him. He, he, his heart struck him, the Bible says. Why? Well, Robert, commentator, scholar Robert Burgeon writes, Quote, David's confiscation of a portion of the royal robe signified the transfer of power from the house of Saul to the house of David. Furthermore, by removing the corner of the robe, David made Saul's robe to be in a state of non-compliance with the Torah requirements. Thus, Saul's most obvious symbol of kingship was made unwearable. In essence, David had symbolically invalidated Saul's claim to kingship. See, a lot's going on, is what the commentators will tell you. The Bible scholars say a lot's going on with cutting off the corner of that robe. A lot of symbolism's going on there. So it was, in a sense, he, he, was, he had dishonored the king. He had disrespected the position. Verse 8, afterward, David also arose, and he went out of the cave, and he called for Saul. My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, 
See the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. And after whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. So David confronts Saul. He tries to reason with Saul. He refused to rashly take matters into his own hands and seek the kingdom on his own terms. And he refused to take vengeance against a man who was at this point trying to kill him. But Saul, Saul's a man who's unjustly trying to kill David, an innocent man, for no reason. The, the differences in the first king of Israel and the second king of Israel could not be more stark. And David even shows respect towards the king in the middle of all this and trusting God as his ultimate avenger. Verse 16, as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. So Saul is blown away by David's actions. His speech is longer, but he recognizes that David's godly character at work here, and he goes on to actually declare, if you go on and read the rest of the passage, he goes on to actually declare that David will be king. He declares that, David, you're going to be king. You're better than I am. As he says here, you've repaid my evil with good. And in this passage, we see David choosing to have confidence in God. This enables David to be patient in his trial and to resist the temptation to take vengeance on Saul. And under pressure and during a trial and now faced with a temptation, he could have done what many do. What many do in these situations. He could have tried to justify sinful actions. Right? He could have taken the Batman approach. Right? Like, look what Saul has done. He deserves this. He has, he's been trying to kill me on multiple occasions and chasing me around. He's tried to kill Jonathan. He had the priest at Nob murdered. If you go back and read a chapter over, um, uh, David had, had went uh, to Nob for, for help. Somebody had spotted David there, and they went and told Saul, and he shows up, and he kills all the priests that are there. I mean, this is a wicked man at this point. He's doing very sinful things and David could have just said you know I'll be the avenger of all these things I'll just be Batman right I'll go out and, and, and I'll be the one that enacts justice and all of this or he could have played the comparison game compared to what Saul's done I mean come on right look what he did to the priest look what he's tried to do to me or he could have played the peer pressure game everybody's telling me to do this everybody else thinks I should do this everybody else thinks this is a good idea or he could have looked at his circumstances and said I'm in a cave I'm hiding in the wilderness I've lost so much. What else am I supposed to do? And he kind of excused it. Or he could have spiritualized it. God must want me to do this. Look, he's brought him right here. That's what the men were doing, right? He's brought him right here. He could have spiritualized a, to ultimately justify sin. But David didn't do that. He had a weak moment, it seems, and, and cut the robe and felt horrible and repented. He actually saved Saul's life that day by not allowing those men who were bitter in soul to kill Saul. David instead chose to trust God. He didn't rush God, which can be tempting in this situation. He didn't play God. He trusted God. 
And in the caves of life, the pressure moments, the hard times, you may be tempted to rush God. You may be tempted to play God. But what you and I are called to do is to trust God. So David also wrote Psalm 57 while in the cave hiding from Saul. Maybe during the events of 1 Samuel 22 or 24, like I said, we're not sure. Either way, during the season of life, the cave and wilderness season, he wrote this. In Psalm 57, he says this, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. And there's a Selah there. And he says, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Do you hear that confidence? That trust? God who fulfills his purpose for me. He is trusting in God's steadfast love. He is trusting in God's faithfulness. God is his refuge, not the cave. He's in the cave writing about how his real refuge is in God. In fact, back in Psalm 142, he says, no, re- no refuge remains for me. But in Psalm 57, he says, my soul takes refuge in you. See, David learned that even when he has no refuge, he has the refuge. Sometimes you learn that in those caves. Sometimes you learn that when you're in the wilderness. And even when you have no refuge, you have the refuge. Ultimate refuge in God. And as we step back and look at 1 Samuel 24, we can see three indication of, indications of David's confidence of God. In this moment. It's, David's not a perfect example. Listen, when you, get, when you get over to 2 Samuel, David's going to fail miserably. So David's not some per- guy that always handled the situation well, right? He, he's even wrestling through this situation, right? He cuts the robe, and then he's, ah, he feels bad about it. and He's fallible. He makes mistakes. He sins. He, he points us to one who is sinless. He, he, he points us to one and reminds us that we need a king who, who does things perfectly and justly. He, he's a type, but he's not the Christ. Only Jesus is, is the Christ. But as we look at the Old Testament, we know that it points us to Jesus and it also it teaches us some things that we can learn from, sometimes the right thing to do and sometimes the wrong thing to do as we seek to live in light of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. So we see some indications of David's confidence of God. Number one, a submission to God's authority. David is able to respect Saul's position of authority as king because he recognizes the ultimate authority, the ultimate sovereign one is God. And David is submitted to God as his ultimate king god has shown his sovereignty even he's shown that he's got authority over everything that's happening and the fact that he's he's arranged he's allowed it so that saul chooses that cave to go into and relieve himself and david is sitting there and he's got him man he's got him if he wants him right there wow saul isn't just the anointed one though to david he doesn't just say he's the anointed one he says what he's the lord's anointed see it was god's authority god's power God's choice that got David's attention. God had chosen to make Saul king, and God had yet to remove Saul. Yes, he's promised David's going to be king. Yes, he's told Saul the kingdom's passing from him. Yes, the Spirit of the Lord has left Saul in that sense. But Saul is still king at this moment. God has not removed him from that position completely. And David's not going to do what he believes that's God's thing to do he's not going to play god he is submitted to god as the authority it's the lord's anointed not just the anointed david even says may the lord judge between me and you saul may the lord avenge me david recognized that the ultimate judge and avenger is god that there was an authority above saul there is one even the king must answer to there is one who always judges justly even whenever the people treat us wrongly 
In Psalm 57 too, from the cave, David actually prayed, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God most high. David understood where the ultimate authority was. It's God, God most high. It is God who's the ultimate authority. And when we see David bowing and he's paying homage to Saul, this passage, it may shock us. Like, what? This guy has been trying to kill you. This guy's done horrible things. Saul's been trying to, I mean, take him out. He's had to hide his family. He's tried to kill his friend Jonathan. David knew Saul was not the one ultimately in charge, though. That, that there was an authority that even Saul would have to give an account to, and that is God. And that made it possible, I think, for David in that moment to respect Saul because he respected the position because he understood that there was an authority over that position and that he was the Lord's anointed. David could honor Saul's position because David was submitted to God and his authority. He wasn't crushed by Saul's power because he was submitted to the one with all the power. You know, to apply this to our situation, it's, there's some differences, right? I and mean, here we're talking about the king of Israel and it's, it's, it's a different situation. But it, there is something here for us to glean from on the idea of how we respond to authority and authority we don't like. You know, for instance, the Bible tells us um, that, that we are to, or authority, or authority that you didn't vote for or that you don't agree with the things they do at times. You know, the Bible tells us we're to honor the emperor. Because we're to be subject to the authorities. There, there comes a time, right, that, that where Christians have to disobey authority. Like if, they, if, it, if it's between obeying God or obeying man, we obey God. The Bible, the Bible teaches us that. But, but for instance, if your person didn't win the election, you shouldn't be crushed, right? When, but when, when president, one president won in, in 2016, some acted like the world ended. And when a different president won in, in 2020, some acted like the world had end, was ending. And these elections matter, don't misunderstand me. But if, but if you recognize and you submit to God as the ultimate authority over all, it enables you to honor even leaders you disagree with. To speak truth to power, yeah, sure. To pray for them, yes, we're commanded to. To, to engage in the process, absolutely. But to not despair, to not despair. And to not respond in an ungodly way. And to not sin in the way we respond. Because we, all, we should be the ones who understand that no matter that whoever's the governor or whoever's mayor or whoever's senator or whoever's got control of Congress or the Supreme Court or whoever is president, that ultimately the authority of all authorities is God. That He ultimately is in charge. And when you know that, and when you know that in the end, ultimately, this, every, the story ends with Jesus ruling and reigning in a new heaven and a new earth, that should shape and inform everything about how we engage in all things. When we go through the cave experiences though, the wilderness experiences of life, when we face trials and temptations, we must remember that God's the one, God is sovereign. He's in authority. That our hearts will only respond rightly in trials and temptations when we are submitted to God as our king. And we're not trying to be king or, or we're not looking and, and fearful that someone else is the one that's the ultimate authority over all things. See, it is God, not our trial, not our persecutor, not the one who sinned against us, not those tempting us, not ourselves, that is the ultimate authority. It's him that we submitted to. It's him that we entrust ourselves to. And if we're truly submitted to God's authority, we will obey his word. We'll obey his word because scripture is God's word. And wherever scripture speaks, God has spoken. So that's number two you see with David here, obedience to God's word. 
David tells his men in Saul that he'll not put out his hands against the Lord's anointed. Now, where did he get that idea? Yeah, it's the Lord's anointed. But what, what does that even mean? Well, the law says in Exodus twenty two twenty eight, you shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. So David had a verse, not just a hunch. He's got a verse that tells him not to curse, much less kill a ruler of his people. Then notice, David refuses to take vengeance against Saul. He says, may the Lord avenge me. May the Lord be judge. Leviticus 19, 17 and 18, the law says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. David's acting in accordance with the law here. He's refusing to disobey God's word in order to escape his trial or gain his kingdom. And we can say we trust God, but the proof is in the doing of what God commands us to do. We can say we believe God is our ultimate authority, but the truth is in the doing of what he commands us to do. Do we obey the word? Do we strive to allow God's word, not the opinion of others, or our own heart be our God? Ultimately, What we believe shapes how we live. You and I will not practice more of God's word than we believe. And if we believe it, we should be putting it into practice. We should obey it. David's men were at best unclear about what God had said. David knew God wouldn't contradict himself. He obeyed what was already written, right? What was already written in Exodus 22, 28. We need to know the word. We need to be committed to obeying the word of God. People who have their confidence in God should have confidence in his word, and that should lead to obeying it because we have confidence in it, that it's true and that it's right and it's good. We have to obey in all things. God's word is not a buffet. It's not just pick and choose. And when children, you have to teach them that, right? You have to teach them to obey and, and the importance of obeying, not just like the easy things that like anybody would obey or like, the, like I just, I know this naturally. This is, I mean, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this one, right? But, but in all things, we seek obedience. And it's not just that way with children, with their parents. We don't just train them that way, but it should be that way with how we respond to God and his word. And what God's word says do, we should seek to do and sometimes in the caves of life in the wilderness you're going to have to decide am i going to obey god's word or just hear what i want and do what i want right have to make up our mind be committed to obedience number three third thing we see here of david is tangible rest in god's faithfulness we see this in two ways we see a tangible rest in god's faithfulness regarding timing David's hope was not in himself. He didn't feel the need to become king, to make himself king. He believed God would bring it to happen in his timing. He was patient. And patience refuses to force the issue. It refuses to take what is to be given. Remember Psalm 57 too. God will fulfill his purpose for me. That is resting in God's faithfulness. Whatever God has planned for me, whatever God has promised to me, God will bring it to accomplish. Confidence, faith in God, requires us to rest in the fact that God will be faithful to keep his promises if we don't rest in god's faithfulness we will be restless you'll be tempted to compromise and sin you'll be tempted to cut corners to get what god says wait for you may be tempted even to sin in the name of doing the will of god and david rested in god's faithfulness regarding vengeance he says may the lord judge between me and you may the lord avenge me against you may the lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you saul Plead my cause and deliver me from your hands. See, David is committed to letting God be judge and letting God be avenger. He trusts that God will be faithful to see to it that justice is carried out. He he doesn't need to pursue revenge. David understood that there's a just judge that all must answer to, and he understands that vengeance isn't, isn't his place, but God's. And God has promised to take care of his people. 
And God says vengeance is his. In Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamities at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Vengeance isn't David's. It's God's, and David understood that. And in this life, we will be sinned against. Sometimes people will hurt us even. Sometimes without remorse. And think about the persecution that the church has suffered over the centuries in the parts of the world. That's one of the ways you can think and apply this, right? How, how do people remain faithful? How do you love and bless and pray for your persecutor? You rest in God's faithfulness. You rest in the fact that God is a trustworthy God and, and he will keep all his promises and he will take care of you. And you rest in the fact that he is a just judge. And David in this points us to Christ because he's a type. He's not perfect in any way. But he points us to Jesus. He shows us the need we have for a true king. Jesus is the one who has shown perfect patience towards God's plan. Perfect patience even in suffering. In 1 Peter 3, 21 through 23, Peter writes, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. To him who judges justly. One better than David has shown us how to handle unjust treatment. Through faith in Jesus, who suffered, who died in our place on the cross and rose again, you and I are declared righteous through faith in Christ. And we can look to the cross and know that God takes sin seriously and that God is a righteous and just judge. And we can look at the cross and know that that God, like I said, that God takes all of this, that God takes sin seriously. And that God is just, and we can entrust ourselves to the just judge. For that matter, Jesus is the only one to go through trials and temptations unstained. Right? He's, he's the only one. David cut the robe, as we mentioned. Later, he's going to be tested and fell royally. Right? He's going to fail royally later uh, when he sins um, over in 2 Samuel. Uh, and we end up with, you know, commits adultery, commits murder. But here he points us to Jesus, who when tempted... When presented with opportunity, quote unquote, when he's, when he's tempted, he saw it for what it was. And Jesus resisted. Over in Matthew chapter 5, verses, in chapter 5, you've got Jesus' temptation where Satan is tempting Jesus. And in verses 8 through 10, it says, Again, the devil took him, took Jesus to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan offers Jesus a kingdom without a cross. And Jesus resisted. Jesus would choose to go to the cross and suffer for our sin, to die and to rise again because that was the Father's will. That was the plan. Suffering and then glory. So he resisted the temptation to a shortcut and he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. And when you know this king, you can rest in God's faithfulness. When you know this king, the Lord Jesus, because it is supremely shown in Jesus, in his cross and in his resurrection. We see it displayed in him. Let me ask you, do you want to have confidence in God in the caves of life? Do you want to show patience in the wilderness? To trust God and not compromise, to not take shortcuts, to not take vengeance? It starts with trusting in Jesus, the faithful king. Have you trusted him? And believer, Let's look to Jesus today. Let's remember what he's done for us in recalling his example and, and let's live in light of what Christ has done and who Christ is as we submit to God's authority. It should be shown in how we obey his word and then we'll be able to rest in his faithfulness 
And this is what it looks like to live with confidence in God even while we're in the caves of life. You will be able to live with patience even while you're under incredible pressure. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him? The one who went to the cross and died for you, who bled and died for your sins, because we've all sinned. Just like Saul was a sinner, David was a sinner, you and I are sinners. Only Jesus is the sinless one. He's the only king, the only man who's ever lived and didn't sin. Have you trusted him as your Lord and your Savior? The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you turn from your sin, recognize you're a sinner in need of God's grace and turn from your sin and embrace Christ, believing he, he bled and died on the cross for your sin, the sinless Son of God, and he has risen from the dead, and you'll put your faith and trust in him, you can be saved today. Would you call on him today? If you'll reach out to him, call to him in, 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 in faith and ask him to save you, turning from your sin, he, he will do so today, the Bible tells us. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to answer questions. If you call on the Lord today, if you seek salvation today, if you, if you place your faith in Christ today, please let us know. If you've got questions, please let us know. Reach out to us at info at gonorthpart.com. And as believers in Christ, let's seek to live with confidence in the cave. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who has proven so trustworthy that we can trust you in any and every season. And we know David didn't do this perfectly. We know he points us to one who, who, who did do this perfectly. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus, that if through faith in him that we can be saved and we can be transformed and, and, and we can be people who are filled with, with faith and can trust you in difficult seasons. Would you help us to do that? Would you help us to resist temptation, resist shortcuts, resist taking vengeance, resist um, buckling while under the pressure of trials and difficult circumstances and temptation? And help us to walk with you. Help us to be holy as you've called us to be holy. Help us to pursue the things of God. Help us to live by faith with confidence in you as we walk through life. And we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.